What's up, everybody? This is Cortland from NDHackers.com, and you're listening to the ND Hackers podcast. More people than ever are building cool stuff online and making a lot of money in the process. And on this show, I sit down with these ND Hackers to discuss the ideas, the opportunities, and the strategies they're taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. Uh, I'm here with AJ from Card. AJ, how's it going? It's going. It's going good. How are you? Excellent. Okay, dude, I gotta, I gotta say, you were on the podcast in like March, like two years ago. So it's been two and a half years. At that time, I thought Card was already huge. Like you were making 30 grand a month. You had, I think, 20,000 new users signing up every month. And you were running it as like this one man startup. So I was just thinking like, how can Card get any bigger than this? And now I'm looking at this graph put together by this website, Exploding Topics, that oh, yeah. you tweeted about. <laughs> and they have like a graph of Card's progress over the last like three or four years. And it's insane. It's like apparently Kim Kardashian tweeted about you some point last year and she shared like a card that she made and it blew up. And now you're like five times bigger than you used to be. You're making over a million dollars a year and you've got three million people on card, which is ridiculous. It's it's like you're taking over the world. Well, so she she actually, she tweeted out a site that was built on card. And I think it, it I don't think she gave any thought to card itself it was just the url of the site that she wanted to share she shared it but that had this really crazy effect on our growth and everything else that's kind of persisted to this day which i guess is sort of evidence that what was sort of like a throwaway moment for her in some ways ended up being like a defining moment for us which is right really weird to think about and uh yeah like you never know when things like that will happen i mean we were growing at like a fairly you know consistent clip for years Mm -hmm. and then last year between covid and between that like it just shot off and (laughs) it's been a wild (laughs) ride and and the funny thing is it's like i have to stress that like card is yeah it's growing quite a bit but it's not i mean it's not at that breakneck growth that you know makes it unmanageable as a project. It makes you know just completely overwhelms you or anything like that. It, it's like we're just growing at like a like a steeper incline than I right. expected. So that has sped up. It sped things up quite a bit, but not to the point where I'm like, oh shit, you know, we have to sell or something because there's no way we can manage it. It's like no, no, we just got a really good healthy boost that meant some things had to move up like improving our infrastructure and taking care of some like legal side and all that other stuff. Things that I knew would eventually show up down the road, but just kind of showed up on my doorstep <laughs> the next day. So I was like, well, shit. Okay. Which is sort of what led to doing that small seed round earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And you're like the prototypical bootstrapper, right? You're like yeah, the model yeah. poster child for somebody who has not raised money, who's doing this as a very small scrappy team of one person for most of Cars history. And right. who did like, I don't, I don't know if you were ever like philosophically opposed to raising money, but you just clearly hadn't and you were crushing it. And so to raise money was like a surprising thing. Yeah. There was a low key kind of like philosophical opposition to the idea of raising in large part because I mean, it didn't really make sense. Like we were, were profitable. And I stressed to a lot of people like this was a, this started out as a vanity project. Like, let me just get that out the way. Like card was not. I didn't start out, you know, with a business plan or anything. Like literally it was like, <laughs> hey, I wonder if I can do this. And I did it. And then great, it started growing on its own and took on a life of its own. 
just uh, so people know in case they missed the last episode card is basically a way for people to create like simple single page websites it's a very easy way for people to create a website for themselves and this is like a platform that you built by yourself and you're hosting right. millions and millions of websites and like for a lot of yeah. these people like their websites are probably very crucial for their business like if i push a code change to any hackers and I break the website and then I go to sleep and wake up the next morning. Like people will be like upset or frustrated, but like no one's like livelihood is ruined because no one like depends on any hackers. <laughs> if card goes down, a lot of people are screwed. Like they're running their businesses on card. They're running like all sorts of stuff on card because they're making actual websites. And so it's kind right. of a big deal for you to be growing at like this rocket ship pace and have all these people joining your site and uh, look around and be like, uh, <laughs> I don't have like investors yeah. or an infrastructure or a big team to sort of help me with this. Yeah. And, and that was actually sort of what came from that. It was like, you know, there's a, yes, I may have started this as a vanity project, but it was clearly not that anymore. And there was sort of a leveling up that had to take place, like in terms of biomaturity around what this thing is. Because as you said, a lot of people now run businesses with their website built on card or even building card sites is a business for some people. It required me, yeah, to, to mature a little bit and sort of realize that this has to be treated with a bit more care, a bit more seriousness than I had previously. Raising gave me access to people who could help me with that. And it, was, it wasn't so much hands-on help because, I mean, you know, investors, like they invest in a lot of things, right? They it's a lot to ask someone who is like a you know a small percentage investor in your business to come along, roll up their sleeves, and actually start working on it because that's not that's not what they signed up for. What they did sign up for is to share, to you know uh, be kind of an advocate for you on the outside, but internally also share their knowledge and experience and ways that they can help us through problems that we're running into. So that's exactly what we got from doing this small raise. Someone asked me like, well. Couldn't you just, you know, talk to some other founders online? Like, you know, because I know a lot of people on Twitter. Why not just talk to them about what they did? And like, yeah, I understand that. But when people are kind of financially invested in your success, that sort of changes the dynamic quite a bit. And as the <laughs> every investor I spoke to loves the phrase uh, aligning incentives. <laughs> and this is exactly what it is. I mean, it like they they literally have a financial stake in us succeeding and yep. that influences the the amount of time they're willing to spend helping us through problems. I think the incentive alignment thing is such a big a big point because if you ask people for advice, there's so many different reasons why people will give you the advice they give you. You know, on Twitter like people will say things just because they like to sound smart. And <laughs> if they're not in any way like attached to your success, like they might prioritize like I want to sound clever and smart and cool well above, like, I want to give AJ, you know, the best recommendation for how to, like, you know, migrate all these sites to a new hosting platform because they don't care. You know, they're not going to actually see any financial upside, whereas the investors will. And so, I do think there's something to this sort of um, mantra of aligning incentives, aligning incentives that investors will constantly say. And, like, that's clearly worked out in your favor. But I think in your position, you have to make this philosophical decision because, like, you started Card as just, like, a project for yourself. And, yeah, it turned into this thing that, like, grew beyond your wildest dreams, but it's still, like, you behind the steering wheel. You can do whatever you want. And you could have decided, screw the quote unquote responsible path. Like, I don't want to turn into this like super buttoned up company. Like, I want to keep it, you know, small and scrappy. And I don't care if that means our growth is going to slow or things are going to go down. Uh, that's how I want to run it. You know, you could have just been the guy in charge of product. There's like this dichotomy between doing what brings you joy and doing what works for everybody else. 
And I think that in the early days, you kind of just do the first thing, you know, like, oh, if you really like making website templates, you can make website templates and spend all of your time on that. And then as your business grows, you get more and more pressure to do what the market demands of you. And I, you know, right. it's kind of this like cliche of selling out, right? Like you've sold out, right? You're not doing, following yeah. your passion or your dream anymore. And I think that like, that's a false fiction, right? You can do things that other people like and do something that brings you joy. And I wonder how you're navigating that. Like how much of what oh. you do for the card day to day is something that you like to do? And is that, like, is that changed having raised money and gotten so big? So a short answer is no, it hasn't changed. I think what what brings me joy from card now is seeing how people use it and wanting to enable that even more. Like one of the most impressive sites I've seen on card to date was uh, Daniel Baskin's uh, co-founder quest, which you may have seen. Uh, it, yeah, I did. She was on the show a long time ago and she's uh, she's dating one of my good friends. Another person who's been on the show, uh, Vincent Wu. So I hung out with them in SF a while ago and she always has the craziest projects. But this one that she built on card is like one of the most impressive I've seen. Right. And she's used card for other projects over the years like that. And But that sort of surprise and you know, pleasant shock from seeing something like that and then finding out, oh, it was made on card and then just wondering like how, like how? How did how did you do this? Like, like I I built this thing, but how did you build this? <laughs> That's what brings me the joy out of this now, and I feel like everything else sort of takes care of itself. I mean, to this day, Card has not done any paid marketing, paid advertising, none of that stuff. It's all grown by word of mouth, and so far that strategy has really paid off. Yeah, I think there's um whenever anybody's successful, there's kind of like two modes to that. There's number one, like they figured something out one time. And it did really well and just sort of took off after that. And it was kind of hard hard for them to fuck up. And then there's this other method of operation where I think like, you figure some deeper strategy out and you just keep applying it over and over and it consistently works. And you can try new things and it, those are going to work too because you have the same underlying strategy. Like this, right. It's like you figured out how to play the game. And I wonder what that is for you with card because you keep launching new stuff for card. Like it's much more featureful than it was in the early days and everything seems to work. What is the repeated thing that you do with card that continues to work? Well, when users nag me for something enough, I implement it. <laughs> That's pretty much what it is. <laughs> I mean, the I mean the reality is it's like even something like the template seller program thing, like that that came about in large part because I saw users were doing that anyway. Like they were figuring out ways to create templates on card, which at that time you couldn't create user templates. Like you had to basically just make a whole site. They figured out a way to do, like, even with those constraints, make templates and sell them and make a living off that. And I was like, there has to be a better way to do this. And so that's that's what this yeah. ultimately, you know, like, Walton came out of it. Uh, and, and other things are just people straight up hey, saying, hey, why can't we do this? And I'm like, why can't we do this? And then so I'll, I'll figure out a way to do it in a way that sort of fits what card is without, you know, just bolting on a new feature. And so... I don't know if I would call it a strategy. It feels more like a reflex, but just this way of doing things has been very beneficial. Why do you think that doesn't work for so many other people? I mean, essentially what you're saying is like your users are doing something, you just amplify what they're already doing. Are they requesting something? You just give them what they want. I know a lot of people who have products and services and people are asking for stuff and they just end up building a bunch of random stuff willy nilly and like it doesn't work. The thing people say they wanted, they didn't actually want, it never <laughs> catches on. Why with card does that actually work to listen to what your users want? Uh, I think we have the benefit of having a very large and diverse user base. And it is very diverse. Like, you know, we'll have someone building like a serious 
you know, very serious business landing page right after someone building like a fan page for BTS or something. Like it's just having that very broad range of people, it makes it easier to sort of think in terms of like the broader picture of who's using our products. So I'll, I'll take a, a request from someone who it might be a relatively niche thing to them, but I'll be able to sit there and think, well, how would, how would our K-pop fan users get value out of this? Or how will our, you know, no code users get value out of this? How, what's a way I can implement this in a way that everyone can benefit from? And by approaching it that way, that keeps it in line with cards overall vibe, which is, you know, it's not going to be this hyper deep, hyper complex, you know, very sophisticated site builder platform. That's not what it started as. And it doesn't really make sense to go that way anyway, given that there were better choices for that. But what we can do is sort of like serve that, like the basic essence of what people want to do. So like one, one thing we're going to be doing in the near future is commerce stuff. But we're not going to be Shopify, right? We're going to have stuff in there that will let you do, let, you know, most people do like that first 70, 80% of the problem, right? You know, mm-hmm. and that's it. Like, but then we're not going to go to the 100% because I think that going from 80, 90% to 100%, like that last 10, 20% is, it almost specializes you for that thing. We just don't do that thing. We just provide you with the basics and then you kind of go from there. I think for other people, they, they may not have the discipline to constrain themselves. Like they may want to just run with something all the way and then they get the end of it and it's like no one's using it. And so you just spent all this time and resources building something that three people on your platform of thousands or millions are going to use. And then you, you know, think of all the stuff that you just wasted as opposed to kind of looking at before even going down that rabbit hole thinking, well, how how can we do this in a way that everyone benefits from in some way? And I wonder how much of it comes down to you having built the right thing in the first place. Like the very core product of Card is like, for lack of a better term, a website builder. And right. it turns out that lots of people really, really want to build websites. <laughs> people like building websites and like right. people don't necessarily want it to be too hard. There's lots of different ways to build websites. And like you found a niche where people want simple one-page websites. And having gotten that right, sort of getting all these people on your platform who then are giving you feedback of like these incremental improvements and fixes and things they want to do. And I think that often when I see people just listening to what users are requesting, but not having any luck, they haven't figured that first thing out. You know, they have like, they have absolutely sure, yeah. no idea what people want. And they're just sort of lashing out in every direction, trying to figure out what people want in the first place, rather than like having figured that out and sort of incrementally building on top of that. Right. I feel like this isn't my thing. I, I think one of our investors was talking to me about this, but it's like, you know, you, you have to be really confident in what your North Star is. And Cards North Star was largely derived from convenience for me because going way back to when I first started working on it, way back in 2015, the whole idea was, yeah, I want to do a site builder, but I don't want to do something huge and gigantic that's going to take me 30 years to write on my own. I need to reduce the scope of the problem I'm solving to something very manageable for me to work on, hence the whole vanity project thing. So how did you how did you reduce the scope? Because I think everybody has this problem. Like, oh, I want to build this big, ambitious thing, but I don't know if it's possible for me to do that as one person in anything less than like five or 10 years. And I don't think it's as easy for every product category. Like for, for website builders, like for me, like what ended up being the easy way to do that was like, well, I'll just limit it to a single page. The one page constraint. Right. And then I'll also constrain sort of like how you build the site. So it's still simple, but you can't you can't put 
things all over the place. Like you have to kind of follow this sort. There is a sort of pattern to the way you build stuff. But the upside is for me, it makes implementation like supremely easier. And the upside for the user is that actually those constraints make it easier for them to build their site anyway. Because they're not having to worry about complex layout stuff. It's just like, just throw your crap up there. And guess what? It'll also work on mobile. You know, like that, that was sort of the, the thing from the beginning. And I, I, I can take some credit for identifying that that formula worked. And that's why I'm sticking to it. Now, it, again, it remains to be seen if that is wise going into the future. I mean, because car could turn into something else in, in a few years. Who knows? Like with just growth and bringing other people on board and things like that. But I feel like for where it is right now, kind of sticking to this methodology is, is going to keep giving us success. And so I'd say like, yeah, have a have your North Star, but also kind of be flexible if you have to change over time. I was talking to our uh, mutual friend, John from Ghost the other day, and he has this tweet where he says that one thing people don't understand is that software is always sort of dying by default. Like the technology industry moves so quickly that the second you code something and release it, you can't just let it sit there unchanged forever. Like it's already becoming outdated. There's already new languages and frameworks. There's already new trends that people are following, things people want to do. And so, yeah, maybe your decisions will last and be good for a few years, but like there's no guarantee they'll last into the future. And so part of what you need to do as a founder is kind of always be looking ahead and predicting and I guess changing your mind about things. In your case, maybe that means going from bootstrapping to fundraising. Maybe that means going from you know, being a simple website builder to having like these e-commerce features, et cetera, et cetera. I'm right. curious, like what, what do you think is in the future right now? Whew. Well, well, first, obviously, John, as usual, is right, as he always is. So John, if you're listening, yes, you're right, as usual. So five years ago is actually you know when Card started, right? 2015 is when I started working on it. Again, what got Card a lot of popularity was the fundamental assumption that everyone needs a website, pretty much. Like, yeah, you have your presence on social media, but at some point, you're going to want something of your own that's sort of separate from those platforms that you own that maybe has a, you know your own domain name or something that's associated with you. So that's not some like amazing revelation on my part. That's always been the case. It's just that I think it became more pronounced in recent years because more and more people have gotten online. And so that that wave has sort of carried us you know forward pretty far. Five years from now, I think that's still largely going to remain the same. I think it, it just means more people are going to be expecting more of, well, I have a website, but I also want to do this with it, right? So not just link to all my shit. I want to be able to like sell this product I made or, or advertise a service I do or something because, you know, more people are moving online. More people are doing their side hustles as like main hustles now because a lot of reasons of things going on in the world. Um, there'll be demand for more from a website. So like I, if Card were exactly as it was five years ago, today. So like if I didn't change anything, I think it would actually begin to decline in usage because there are things that people want now that you have to kind of, it's no longer just here's all my shit. It's like, here's all my shit. Here's something that I want you to do here too. sign up with my mailing list or buy this product or something like that. And I think that's only going to grow. And so it's sort of on us to figure out what those things are and implement them, but do so in a way that's unique to card rather than trying to, again, like bolt on this whole other mm -hmm. thing that, you know, very few people end up using and just sort of adding those things as features in a way that kind of has broad appeal to everybody who uses this thing. I think one of the tough things is like, I don't know if you remember this trend, maybe it still happens. I don't see as much anymore, but like 
five years or so ago, like it was super common for indie hackers to launch products that were just like, we're X, but simpler. And like, that was the most common business model. Like, oh, X has gotten so bloated and hard to use. Like, we're just going to build this website, you know, or this app, but make it super simple. And the trick with that was that like, okay, you can do that, but now you're going to have a ton of users who are like, we want this feature, we want that feature. And eventually you end up becoming like just as bloated as the thing that you replaced. And with card, like, I guess you have like that same sort of risk factor, right? Like you can add all these features, but does that not mean that you're getting away from like the simple early days of like, from I guess that user who just doesn't want all those extra features, who just wants the basic website. And does that not open up room for someone else to come along and build like an even simpler card and grab those people from you? Oh, no, that's that's 100%. Like that's always something that you run the risk of, but I think you can avoid it. All you have to do is just like remember like what what brought people to your product to begin with. And, you know, that can change over time. But I think fundamentally, like in our case, it's the simplicity. So whether you're building a site on card in 2021 or if you were in 2016 when it first launched, the interface is largely the same. Some things have been tidied up. There are a number of new features, but the way in which they've been implemented is by design kind of one of those things where it doesn't hit you at once, right? Like it doesn't overwhelm you. Like I, I've really, I really try to go out of my way to add functionality, but sort of, I don't want to say hide it, but conceal it from those who are not looking for that. So if you are a power user, if you are somebody who's looking to do more with mm. card, you by, I think by your nature will find those things. Right. Sometimes you don't. And that's usually on me for not making it clear enough. But for everyone else who just wants like, you know, I just want to build a site to where I can link all my link to all my stuff and maybe, you know, have a, a sign up form or something. That flow has not changed since we launched. I think that's super hard too. like, let's say you are a genius product designer, but then you've got your homepage and your marketing, your tweets or whatever. And I know like you're not super big on marketing with card, but like the temptation is there to say like, we have all these features, right? Like to say like, blah, 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 blah. And like to change your tagline from like the easiest way to create a simple one page website to say like the easiest way to do e-commerce slash be a blogger slash start a newsletter slash sell templates. And I think that like that's very hard to resist when you spent months, if not years working on all of these new features to not like put that front and center on your website and have the discipline to stick with like the simple statement is something that almost nobody can do. Let's go back to talking about fundraising because this is not something that a lot of indie hackers do. Uh, maybe the first question I want to ask is like, how do you fundraise as an indie hacker? Once you've made this decision that, okay, this is what you want to do, what does that process actually look like from beginning to end? In our case, like we got a lot of people just cold emailing, cold calling from, you know, smaller investors, but also like, you know, your, your usual venture capital outfits. And that's been going on for years, way before I even considered going this route. And I think that's just... I mean, a lot of VCs will have people who just go out and keep an eye on potential products that they can get involved with. And then they'll just cold email them and see if there's any interest. And so for years, I resisted even going that route until, you know, again, last year when I said, okay, this might be the best thing for us. So that process really was uh, saying yes and saying, oh, sure, let's, <laughs> let's talk and to see and see where this goes. And it's not shocking to me that you would get all that interest because it's like, how many major website builders even exist? It's like Web, Webflow, Squarespace, Weebly, Wix, et cetera. And then you have like this outlier card, which is run by this like really small scrappy team that hasn't raised money, but that's like having like close to as much of an impact as all these big players. So like, it's not shocking to me that VCs are like salivating over like this, like this unpicked fruit. 
and that is pretty much that is pretty much what they look for and it's not unique to us i mean this happens all the time anytime there's a product that gains traction it doesn't and it, if it hasn't raised yet you will inevitably have investors curious to see if they can get involved and help in some way so that process is really just <clears throat> doing a bunch of calls and talking and like kind of kind of like speed dating in a way like trying to figure out like are they a good fit for you or are you a good fit for them and how do you make these like smaller, I guess, like technical fundraising decisions? Like how do you decide how much money you want to raise? How do you decide what type of structure to raise it on? How do you decide how much, you know, what percentage of your company to give away? Especially when you're a bootstrapper and you don't necessarily know a lot of people in your network who've done this before. So it's actually, from what I can tell, it's actually kind of standard. You know, raising for a small startup is not a new thing by any stretch. It's not a unique thing. So there's more or less kind of, metrics you can follow you don't want to dilute yourself past x percentage or whatever uh big thing for us though is that one of our advisors who's who's officially on board with card is ryan hoover from product hunt so card i mean as i'm sure a lot of people who, who are listening to this already know like got its start really on product hunt and like without that boost at the beginning we wouldn't be here today so ryan being willing to come aboard as an advisor was a huge thing for us. And he managed to fill us in on like how much of this works, you know, what, what a, a good amount to raise might be for our size and our, our plans. And just a lot of these things that I just didn't know. So I guess the, the TLDR of that would be find yourself a good advisor who already knows a lot of the shit and bring them aboard. And then there's this whole question of, okay, you don't want investors to come aboard and change the direction that you're going because you're going the direction that's worked for you. Like you don't want to have to suddenly hit this hockey stick growth curve, but kind of the standard goal for most tech investors is to hope that you do, right? They want you to become like a unicorn or often for their portfolios. It doesn't make sense to invest in companies that don't have this path to become worth billions of dollars. And so why do you think there are investors out there who are willing to invest in you if you don't necessarily want to go that route or aren't on that trajectory? I think because they might see potential for it to get there anyway, without them having to really mess with anything. So like, Card is sort of like on this trajectory to just keep growing and doing well, right? And they see that. And if my requirement for letting them be part of this journey is like, let's not fuck with this, they're willing to do that because I think they've seen enough now with different companies that there are so many different paths to success. There isn't one template if you will for a startup to follow to get you know to be a unicorn or whatever and it's not like i don't really have any aspirations to be a unicorn or anything i don't even think we'll get there i'm content with just continuing to do things as we have but i think they know that sometimes the best way that they can be involved is to just be helpful but not directly you know up in your shit all the time yeah and it feels like we're in like a world today when i look at like the valuations of companies or whatever where it's like really a founder's world if you have a product or service that's working really well, there are a lot more people out there who are investing than there are people who are, who are able to create a product like you've done. And that gives you your pick of the litter and you can have that optionality to find the investors that work for you, which is super cool because I don't think that was necessarily true like 10, 15 years ago or even five years ago. It was much harder. It was much more like trying to be led into this exclusive elite club and you need to listen to exactly what investors are going to do. But nowadays, you can kind of just find the investors who match your thesis and it's so hard to find a company like Card to invest in, there's going to be a lot of people out there like that. Right. And like the number of investors out there, yeah, it's huge. And it's like that you have people who are willing to invest these small checks. Like not, you can do, a, you can raise like 10 grand, 50 grand, yeah. 100 grand. You don't have to raise millions. And there are plenty of people willing to put up 
even like a thousand dollars here or five thousand dollars or you know just smaller amounts. I was talking to Michael Siebel about this, um, the president of Y Com or CEO of Y Combinator, and he had like an interesting point of view because I do think a lot of founders, once someone has put millions of dollars into your company, you feel like some way beholden to them, right? It's like this, like oh, I need to do right by this person. <laughs> they just gave me millions of dollars. Right. It's crazy, and it's easy to. I think his point was like you as a founder need to not fall into that trap and realize like that's the risk that they took. That's their job. The reality is they might have many more millions of dollars in other companies, so you might not even be that big of a deal to them. And so, it's your fault right. as a founder if you get sucked into this feeling like you need to listen to what they say if they're giving you bad advice. You need to do things right. their way. I guess you sort of hedged against that by picking investors who don't you know, want to push you to do something you don't want to do anyway. But it still, hap- it still happened anyway. I think you, you, you end up having that natural sense of obligation. Someone gives you like a, a check yeah. of money and you know, based on what you told them you were going to do. Yeah. Unless you're an asshole, you're going to try to live up to that. <laughs> but in this in this situation, no, he's absolutely right because early on, like it was shortly after we closed our round, I was really feeling like, all right, now we have to really, you know, we have to do this. We have to, you know, focus on like a lot of different things that maybe weren't focusing on before. Right. And uh, actually two things. So first, our, our lead investor, uh, Rainfall Ventures, uh, Ron is an amazing guy. He It sounded like I was talking in those terms. He, he basically was like, Wait, we're going to stop right here. Like, no, <laughs> don't worry about any of this shit. Just keep doing what you're doing. You know, like just, you know, we invested in you for you. If you want to hire, hire. If you don't want to hire, don't hire. Whatever you feel like is best for your product, you just focus on that. Don't worry about us. We're just here to back you up. I mean, it, I'm paraphrasing that. That's essentially what yeah. he told me. It's like, you know, just, just stop. And then uh, Ryan also mentioned, look, when you go this route, you're going to feel like, because, and just like you said, Cortland, like, you know, Card is like my baby. It's my only company. For investors, I'm just one of maybe 10 or 100, maybe even a 1,000 different companies that they're invested in. They fundamentally, like just the math tells you, they don't give a shit that much, like as much as you do. And they never will. And that's how it's supposed to be. It allows them to kind of give you the capital you need to do what you really care about. But then they're you know not so deeply invested in you that they feel like they have to get involved to change what you're doing. So it, you just have to kind of learn to kind of think the way they do about this. And I think that makes the relationship a lot better as opposed to, yeah, they gave you money. Now you have to listen to every single <laughs> word obligated. they say. And, and yeah. There's this kind of phenomenon where um, like, let's say you're selling to customers and you charge a very small amount of money. You're charging like $5 a month. And your customers happen to be people who, for whom like this is very expensive. They tend to be like noisier and complain a lot more. Like, oh, this is like, I don't have a big budget. You know, I'm spending five bucks a month on your product. Like, you need to have this feature and fix this thing. Whereas often counterintuitively, when you sell to people who have much more money and they're paying hundreds or thousands of dollars a month for your product, they're a lot like more chill. And they're like, ah, do whatever yeah. you want. It doesn't really matter because they're like, <laughs> they're super rich. And I think it might be true with investors too. Like the investors who have enough money to put hundreds of thousands, if not millions into dozens of companies are probably the most likely to be like, hey, whatever floats your boat, AJ, do do you, don't let me interfere. Whereas the right. investor who like writes, you know, her only $10,000, you know, writes a check to you for that, like, she's like, all right, <laughs> this is all I got. Like, you need to make sure it counts, et cetera, et cetera. And so, like, it's right. perhaps freeing to have professional investors who can be that chill. Well, AJ, thanks for indulging all my questions about fundraising. It's not something that comes up on this podcast too often. But yeah, I wrote a piece on the hackers last year. Yeah, for obvious reasons. But I think it's changing. The landscape is changing. I think uh, we're living in a world now where just so many people are starting companies and so many people are investing that it's no longer this like dichotomous, like 
you have to raise from institutional, traditional VCs or, or that's it, right? It's, there's so many right. different options. It's so much more possible to find investors who are the right fit, which means that indie hackers, I think, should be open-minded to considering some of these options. So I appreciate you coming right. on and talking about like what that actually looks like. Um, can you let people know where they can go to learn more about what you're up to with Card and see all these cool updates you're releasing? Because I feel like your pace of development to be a one-man developer <laughs> shop is insane. And obviously, you're supporting millions and millions of sites. So where can people go to learn from you and be inspired by what you're doing? Twitter is probably the best place. I'm not super active on Twitter like I used to be, mostly because I'm just working all the time now. But at uh, AJLKN is, uh, is where you can find me on Twitter. And then obviously card uh c-a-r-r-d dot c-o and yeah that's about it <laughs> i love that you follow exactly one person on twitter i think that's the way to do it it's it's you you tweet and you don't read <laughs> it i know it, it actually comes off as kind of douchey i think but it's really because i used to get really distracted by twitter you, you start scrolling and then you never stop and then before you know it most of the day is gone <laughs> so i was just like shit i need a i realized it did not have the discipline to to avoid that. So I ended up just, I'll just follow card and then that'll be it. <laughs> yeah. I do the same thing. Like I'll go on Twitter to like DM you, for example. And then before I even click messages, I'm like reading the feed. I'm distracted. I'm like scrolling down for half an hour. And I'm like, why was I here again? It's like I temporarily yeah. blacked out and woke up. I'm like, oh yeah, like I'll hear a message you. So I like yeah. the, I don't think it's douchey at all. I like the strategy of you tweet, you say what you need to say. You don't necessarily read. It's helped a lot. And I, I think it's, if you're easily distracted like me, it's almost a necessity if you want to actually get anything done. Very cool. All right, AJ, thanks a ton for coming on. All right, man. Thanks. Thanks.